Today, we are talking to Bryson and Drew Biargo from Biargo Angus in Savannah, Missouri. Thanks for joining me, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, David. Yeah, absolutely, David. Did I butcher your last name? A little bit. Just say it like beer go. Just beer. Beer go. And go. Beer go. Actually, just, that might be easier for me. I got like speech, speech impediment. Yeah. And so just think of like a drink, like it a wasn't beer and so well. go. So. Beer go. All right. Just just well, beer go. Beer and go. Hey, that works for me. Yep. Beer go. I've met both of you guys at Dodd's Cattle. I met Drew in 2022. I kind of chatted him up quite a bit. Brighton, I met you last year, if I don't remember. Just kind of visited with you for a moment. I didn't really tear at you too much about what your program was. This is the second time kind of really talking to both of you guys. Yeah. Yeah, always always enjoy seeing you. Hey, um, Drew, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Okay, let me let me speak closer to the phone there. There how, you go. How about All right, how so how did Biergo Angus, how did it start? Well, Birgo Angus started in 1950, David. Um, it started off with our grandfather, Forrest Birgo. Uh, he... He used to teach classes. He was a former Navy veteran, and he'd go around and help out military guys, uh, you know, teach classes on the farm. And uh, in his travels around, seeing different different uh, students of his, he came across one that was selling an Angus female, her yearling Angus heifer, and uh, the heifer calf on her side. So my grandpa purchased uh, these three females, the, the of, of Birgo Angus, Elia of South Oaks, and her two daughters in 1950. So um, from there, it took off. You know, it, it, like everything in the cattle industry, it wasn't fast. It's been a process. It's been a journey. Generations, both the, the cattle and, um, you know, through through our grandfather, Forrest, our father, Andy, and now Drew and myself and our brother, Mark. Um, but we've grown the herd over the last uh, 70, 73 years now. Um, and, you know, today... Um, in our cattle circuit of cattle that we run, we ride around a thousand females and roughly over 75% of those females will, will descend back to those three original females, um, that my grandpa started with in 1950. So with that many head they run in, are any of those cooperative herds? Yeah, they are. So we got a couple guys that, uh, manage some cows for us. Yep. Going back 1950, when was the very first production sale for a ago? So the first production cell was in 981, um, was the first production cell. So throughout the years, you know, like with every business, there's been periods of growth and periods of, of developing your product. Um, I guess the first great break that, that my grandfather and father received was with a bull called Birgo's Black Revolution, um, 36. And, um, that bull was a champion in Denver, um, in the late seventies. And, um, you know, at that time, the cattle show was, was, was a big break in getting a bull used throughout the industry and Birgus Black Revolution 36 got, got kind of his break there at the National Western Stock Show. Um, and it took off from there where he became the Canadian Sire of the Year. Um, and also was number two in the breed and registrations in American Angus in 1983. Um, so those, that was kind of when they took off with the production sales. Um, we're in the 80s, my grandfather and our father, and, you know, we've kind of went with it from there. So 82, 83. Yeah. I, would think I need to fact check to that probably, but that's, I think Wait. those are the two years. It was number two. Even so during that, during that early part of that decade, that made he's going to tear against EXT. Well, he's a little before EXT. EXT is going to be more like in your late 80s. 
Okay, so he's a little bit okay. early nineties. Um, okay, but so, it was so the time yeah, of like have... power play and bulls like that. So the, there's three brothers. We had Drew and Bryson with us. He, he's the third. Our older brother Mark is also um, involved with us too, with the day-to-day activities here at Birgo Angus. So I'm very fortunate uh, that we get to work with our father every day, and then the three three of us brothers. So here on the farm. But. What What are your roles between the three? If I had a brother, I'd probably strangle him. I, I couldn't see. I can't work with my dad, much less a sibling. What are your guys' roles, and how does it work out for you guys? Well, we all have different roles for sure, but our our roles obviously intertwine um, as well. I mean, the breeding decisions and things like that. Bryson um, does a lot of that part. Um, you know, customer relations. We all do um, a portion in that, but um, well, Mark Mark does probably more of the some of the hanging and bailing stuff like that. Does some of the trucking, but. With that said, it is a family operation. We all we all get involved to kind of in all aspects yeah, of it. Yeah, everybody's involved in all aspects. I think it's one of the great things about the business, right? Is all the different hats that you have to wear throughout the day. So, I mean, when when you look at like with any Angus farm to get to an Angus sale day, there's so many different aspects to the business that that go into that day happening. And, uh, you know, there's plenty enough roles to split up between the three of us. But we overlap, definitely. It's kind of the beauty of this business is that there's enough stuff that we can go on our own and do something, but at the end of the day, we're overlapping and, and collaborating together to, to get to our end goal. And what's your dad's role? Yeah, and our dad is still involved with the day-to-day activities. So um, I would say he, you know, our father at this point takes more of a managerial role as far as just kind of overseeing um, jack-of-all-trades, whatever that be, you know, of the day. So just going around checking things time you get to the day you know checking the different groups checking the waters making sure everything looks right um so but definitely fortunate to have our dad here you know involved with us every day that's gonna be here plus as close as family you guys have the reason i brought you guys on here i really wanted to have an open discussion on a podcast you guys are just a wealth of information you guys do some things that are really unique to the to the probably breed not just the breed but the industry when you guys say feed efficiency, you guys have actually done it. You guys are actually putting money into finding these cattle that are productive, that are efficient. Kind of talk about what you guys got going on and what you guys do to to find the feed efficient cattle. Well, David, we started feed efficiency testing back in the early 2000s. Um, we got invested into a grow safe system at that time. And it just made a lot of sense to us. Is Let's start finding these animals that are converting feed um that we're putting less in to get to the pounds that we want to be you know and at the time i thought we thought everyone thought that boy this is this is you know going to be the thing this is what the industry needs is we need to figure out our cost because this is a big part of of the process and whether or not we're making money at the end of the day is what what are we putting into these cattle and what are we getting out so we bought into that system um worked really well loved the data thought we were on to something and we were just entirely too soon um nobody wanted to pay for for the information you know it, i can remember a bull sale that we were in at that time um you and it was at at a, a test station but we bought into the system but there was bulls in the cell that were converting at eight to nine and one and they were bringing just as much as the bulls that were converting at four and a half five to one and we can all do the math on that you know if you're feeding cattle and they're converting at eight or nine to one you, you're going to go broke so um, it didn't make sense to us at the time, but 
you know, change sometimes in the cattle industry seems like it's slow. Um, so we stuck with it. We kept collecting the data and thinking, boy, this is gonna, this is gonna come around because this is, this is an important, important part of the industry is what these cattle are converting at, what are we putting into them, what is their efficiency, not just, Someone saying mine are efficient and having no really data to to go off of other than just they think they're efficient. We want the data to prove they are efficient. So we ended up putting in our own feed efficiency system right here on the farm. Um, went with the smart feed bunks to do that. And um, it's just been really good to us um, as far as being able to test all of our bulls that come through and collect that data on them, see which ones are getting the job done, see which sires are getting the job done. And we've even expanded it now to, to, to adding more feed bunks, testing females as they're coming through as yearling heifers, um, finding out the feed efficiency with them. And then we've kind of taken it to, I think, another level here recently as we've started uh, feed efficiency testing cow-calf pairs on a high, high refuge. No, in my opinion, David, I'd say the the female end, you know, we gathered lots and lots of data for lots and lots of years on the bull side of things. But, you know, I think a lot of bull suppliers and things like that that supply, um, you know, I think Bryson last year we were fortunate to supply around a four, 400 head of bulls. But the biggest deal, um, you know, to have good bulls, you got to have great females. And with some of the female testing, we've not only been able to test them as yearlings, we've been able to double test them as, um, you know, nursing wet females is two and and now some groups of three-year-olds and things like that and really been able to do some apples to apples testing and see some of the differences and there's no no question some pretty drastic differences in in the different cattle how many females are you testing at a time um so so currently in the feed bunks right now 40 females is what we can test at a time on the female end of things. So um, running those groups through, like I say, 40 females at a time, collecting that data. And it really starts to prove itself over time when you start finding the sires that are getting the job done. And that's the biggest thing that we can see. I mean, yes, I want the individual animals, but I really like seeing the groups as they come through and seeing a sire that's consistently and moving the bar, you know, and, um, that's that's something that we've seen consistently over time. There's sires that get the there are sires that get the job done and sires that that, that don't. So, so do you break them up into a sire group? We do. So yes, we run them in their contemporary groups. Run them with the different sire groups that are in that contemporary. But um, it's just really over time um, worked itself out of the like I said the cattle that are getting the job done and the cattle that are falling behind a little bit. And at the end of the day, when you start talking about you know, several head of cattle when you're doing this. I mean, the dollars add up. Um, to be a huge, huge amount. So, if if you had you you put in forty head, right? You're going tens forty head. How many sires might be reflective in that group? Four, six, two. Yeah, and every group's going to vary just a little bit, but I would say in that four to six range. I'm sure the cows are on a different diet than the bulls. So, when you're doing this test with the cows, what do you feed them? So, in the cows, basically, what we do. Um, in the wintertime is give them the exact same ration that we'd be feeding the rest of the cow herd. Cause we want to find cattle that are doing it in, in, in our environment and the exact same environment that the rest of the cattle that are doing it in. And then also, um, you know, they're, they're going to fit right back into the groups that they're from. So they're just getting the, the hay, haylish type of mix as they're, as they're going through that test, because we want to find the cows that can get the job done in a real world. Okay, and then, and then with the bulls, when do you start? Do they start just shortly after we on the 
grossing. Sure, that's what you're sh- shooting for. Um, you know, we're going to get them good and weaned before we go on to the test to get them acclimated, get them on the diet that they're going to be on. So that when they go on the test, you know, they're they're in that same environment that they've been in for a while. But usually we're shooting for 60 days after weaning is when we're, we're shooting to start them on the feed efficiency test there. What is your target number for advanced TV? You know, is it nine to one? Is it five to one? How low is too low to where they you knock them out? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I think all the time you're trying to move that bar forward. You know, I think um, when we started feed efficiency testing, you know, I think we were fortunate that we had genetics that we bred for maybe indirectly throughout the years that were pretty efficient. So, you know, I think in the early 2000s when we started testing, you know, we were more of that that six to one average. Over time, we've moved that up. Um, you know, most of the groups right now are averaging five to one, maybe a little better than the five to one, but that's kind of what we're shooting for there. That's a pretty darn good bar. When you start looking at the industry average is more of that six and a half to one, um, that starts adding up and, and being a lot of money over time. As far as one being too low, I, I, I don't think we or, or the industry or anybody has seen one that's too low yet as far as on a conversion standpoint. Um, because you just look at that, if if you can keep moving that bar down, keep getting them more and more efficient, you just get more and more competitive with the other proteins that you're competing against, such as pork or chickens. I think what I meant was that, that, that when is their efficiency so low that you knock them out? What's that number? Oh, oh, when they're so, when they convert so bad. Is that? Yeah, what, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, David, I kind of misinterpreted that. Yeah, I mean, you start getting those cattle, if they're going to convert... You start getting below seven and a half or eight to one, and that's just that's just not an animal that should be put into the industry, really. To be honest with you, you know, and I, I know sometimes that that might might hurt somebody's feeling. You love this animal, but just when you look at it from an economic standpoint, that that's not an animal that's profitable enough to be reproductive. You you don't want to be breeding that on because that's just an animal that's going to lose you money every time. So. Now you guys are um, you guys are you're testing your genetics and you're also testing other outside sources their genetics as well. And if from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're also raising steers out to finish, correct? Yes, we are. So we have a, a a beef store here on the farm. It's attached to our sale facility. So yeah, so we finish out steers here that we feed and go to the beef store and we'll sell some, um, you know, on the open market too. But uh, yeah, so definitely we feed those steers out and we do, we do feed some cattle for some other guys too. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting to, to capture that information and to see the genetics at work and see them compare. And you continue to collect that data on the steers? So the steers don't go through the feed efficiency bunks as of right now. Um, we, we feed them kind of a separate location, but, um, they, would be siblings, I guess, you know, the same, same genetics that are compared to the, the, the breeding stock that, that does go through the feed efficiency bunks. So I don't have the individual, um, data on the steers. You know, we have the groups, how the groups are doing, but, um, we aren't able to capture that at this point. Well, tell me again, when you're making breeding decisions and, and keeping cattle, I'm sure you're to the size where you actually do have to make it you know, every year and whether you're keeping cows or keeping heifers back. Is your decision based primarily on feed efficiency? Is it phenotype? Is it, you know, grade quality? What keeps a cow in your herd? At the end of the day, 
you know, it has to be a balance of everything. I, I think the feed efficiency is so important. And I think if you don't have cattle that can convert or use the feed that you're giving them, I, I think you're fighting an uphill battle in this industry. I think you have to get cattle that can do that. Now, with that said, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, really, at the end of the day, what cow stays in our herd has to start with the functionality of just the cowboy traits. Does this cow breed? Does she raise a big calf? Is she sound? You know, those are the first and foremost things. Is she docile? Docile. I mean, those are the things that, that any good cowman, I think, has to start with because those are the things that keep you in business. Now, once you have those things accomplished, now let's let's find the cows that can do more traits better. So, um, so like I say, they get they have to be a, a good cowboy trait cow to begin with. Now let's find the cows that are efficient. Let's find the cows that you know have higher higher quality grade, higher quality you know more weight. So I think that's you know that's where we're at, where, where we build off of, and that's kind of some of the criteria that we we look at when we're deciding who gets to stay. And David too having having a longer history is one um, thing. Bryson and myself and Mark are very fortunate too that some of the cowboy traits that he talks about, our grandfather, our dad took care of a lot of that before us, you know, the phenotype with the revolution cattle back, you know, back in the eighties and, and whatnot. So, um, we had a pretty good foundation to build off of to allow us to, you know, reach out and try and find these cattle that are more efficient, try and find these cattle that'll hit the premiums and do a whole balanced package. But, you know, a lot of those cowboy traits were taken care of, you know, when we were old enough to get started on it. Our grandpa always had a, had a principle that he went by. It was always keep heifers out of the cows that kept first in the calving cycle and wean big. And when you think about that, I mean, you're solving a lot of problems right there. And that when you're sure looking are. at the fertility basis, performance basis, you know, the cows that are getting the job done in your environment. So um, that's still a principle we look at. It's just now a principle that we look at with, with, with traits stacked on top of it. What, what's the frame size on one of your typical cows? Sure. And, you know... We, we do have a little bit of variance in our frame size, but to us, growth is important. Um, our customers come to us and they want to put pounds on their, on their calf crop. So, and they want to top the market. So with that, you know, I mean, our ideal cow is going to be in that six frame, the six, two frame. Um, she's going to carry a tremendous amount of rib shape and capacity and go out there and get the job done. But, but we're going to be, you know, well, that's just kind of our ideal cows. We want to stay in that, that frame size. Six frame, six, six two frame. What's the weight? Sure, and you know, again, there's a little variance in the cows, but we're we're shooting for that fourteen hundred pound cow is what we're shooting for. She seems to really thrive in our environment. Like I say, we want a cow that carries a tremendous amount of capacity, holds up, can do it just on grass and running in the pasture like like all the other cows. When we don't believe in a special treatment, we don't really have time to give any cow special treatment. So she has to go out there and get the job done. But I would say that would be, you know, my ideal cow in that six six two frame, fourteen hundred pound cow. So are you guys privy to the industry? You know, I have little midget cows. Do you have feed efficiency? Yeah, I mean that kind of brings up a point, and it's it's an interesting debate. Is what what makes a cow efficient? And you know, I think through some of this uh, cow calf testing that we've done it's been pretty eye-opening so this whole theory that just uh, a cow has to weigh nothing to be efficient it hasn't followed our our data at all so you know just like humans it, 
every human or every cow in this instance, their their body works, you know, differently. And we all have that example of that that guy that we know that that eats a lot and he stays little. And we all have that example of that guy we know that he doesn't eat much and and he's a big guy, you know. So I guess to us, we're trying to find those animals that can still maintain performance without, you know, breaking the bank on on their consumption end. Now, let me do say, it's not, the point to this is input-output, all right? We want efficiency. We want to get to our most profitable point of how much money did we put in this animal? How much money did we get out of this animal? Um, You know, the point isn't to take inputs to zero, but rather maximize the profit. So that is kind of where where we look at with it. So sometimes the most efficient cattle feed them when you feed them they grow. As long as you feed them and they grow, and it has to be hand in hand. You know, if you if you're not feeding them anything but they grow a little, that isn't always going to be a thing that works. Yeah, and that's what we've seen here. Those typically speaking, your very lowest input cattle are not what I consider to be your most efficient cattle because typically when you take your input to nothing you get your output being nothing, and that doesn't work either. So it's the relationship there. What do we put in? What do we get out? And um, I don't think you can get to that that profit margin that you want without having performance cattle. So I, I kind of took a, a long, indirect answer to your question, but I think you have to have the performance end if you're going to be efficient. No, no, no. It was, it was a wonderful actor. I think people will get something out of it. Now, do you guys also track carcass as well? We, we spent a lot of time on, on input, but do you guys track the carcass? We do through our bee shop. So, I mean, we're tracking those animals all the time. They're coming in the bee shop and it's it's always interesting and you always are trying to learn more as you're coming through. And this is kind of off topic here, but one of the things Drew and I talk about a lot is animals coming through the bee shop. A lot of times we'll measure their, their ribeye because through our bee shop, nothing is more profitable to us than getting more ribeye. And, uh, you know, I always think it's very interesting in the industry when we ultrasound, we're always measuring around the ribeye. But I have example after example of animals when you bring them into the beef shop, and you hear people say this a lot of times, that animal has an extra rib. They're not lying. Literally, some animals just have a lot longer ribeye than other animals. And it just perplexes me, and it's something we're trying to breed for, but perplexes me that the industry isn't looking for longer ribeye animals. And that's not something that we're not even really, really testing for. But to me, that would be the answer to the whole ribeyes are getting too big for the, for the plates at the restaurants because we keep measuring them bigger around instead of measuring them longer, getting more total weight of ribeye. And that's something that's a little perplexing to us that we try to track and we're trying to add that extra rib in the animal to get the ribeye weight up because that's more money to us. Do you, you really think the ribeyes getting too big and breed? I, I know I think kind of a misnomer. Well, and the I only mean, reason the ribeye would get too big would be that they're having to background the cattle so long and getting them so old. That that's but, so. But I, I do gotta, think the industry is missing the boat a little bit on the length of the ribeye because I think you can add a lot of money to an animal by making the ribeye about the ribeye. How many generations do you think of breed into that? I I think one problem we have to breed now is we're growing too heavy. I'm the IMF, and we're making wide-ear looking bulls out there. How many generations do you think it takes to actually start getting that ribeye to where we need it to be? 
Well, I think with with genetics, anytime you can start making improvements in one generation, right? Whether that be a feed efficiency, whether that be ribeye, but obviously it gets better and better as you stack the generations. Um, you know, and I think if you really want to see the improvement in any trait, it needs to be three generations of stacking sires that, that get the job done in that area that you want to improve in. So, Drew, what do you... Yeah, yeah. No, no question about it. Sure. So... I think that's your best bet to, to change any trait is, is going that route. And, you know, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we do track these animals. I think people should definitely have marbling in their cattle. Now, when you're raising Angus cattle, you know, we got example after example of, of prime animals. I mean, you start getting to the point that once you're going prime, you know, it's one of the, the most interesting things out there is I hear people all the time talk about, well, I got this much premium on my animal. Well, if you fed it for another six months and it didn't weigh very much, is that really a premium? You know, is what a question that I bring up and ask people. Like very good a point. premium is, is what you make, you know, go back to the input-output aspect of it. And I think people have to really start looking at that as what am I feeding this animal? How old is this animal? What have I put into this animal? And see what your premium actually is. But Angus genetics in general, they marble. So if you kind of know how to feed them, you know, you, you don't need a, a 1.5 marbling to get a bunch of prime beef. Yeah, yeah. also you guys think of this. I, I think I'm at, it's kind of like a 100-year dash. There is a finish line. We don't need to keep running a marathon when it was only 100 meters. Yeah. I think you can say, I'm here at the IMF, it stopped. We don't need to just keep pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. Pushing harder, pushing harder. When you got a 1.85, was that really that big of improvement over the one? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So, and it's something that we talk about a lot with our customers and in our cattle, I mean, catalog. We're looking at total profit here. So I think some of the, you know, not to dive into it too far, some of the numbers that are put out there, you know, overemphasize traits to the point that that's not actually making you more money. So what do you need to do to make yourself more money? What's the most profit that you can make on these animals as you're going through? And you, I think you hit the nail on the head there with that is, you know, once you've got one marbling EPD genetics wise, you, you're going to have prime beef, you know? So you're, you're not actually making yourself any more money by going higher and higher and higher on a marbling EPD once you've already, you know, achieved, achieved, achieved the premium. So, so let's, let's talk about your customer. Is your customer more likely, I think most of your customers probably Missouri, you know, West Missouri, East Canada, probably North Nebraska, maybe into Iowa. Is your customer more likely to um, take them all the way to the rail or are they going to sell them at weaning? Well, and kind of you, you hit it pretty good there on the, on the customer range and area. Um, now I will say it's a, it's a changing market. The, the customer base keeps expanding out all the time and we keep, going into new markets and it seems like there's a, a tremendous, I guess, intrigue or, or people are really curious about this feed efficiency thing because it, it just hasn't been talked about that much in the industry overall. So people are really curious with that. So that kind of keeps pushing the market out. At the same time, we are very, very proud that no no fence line that touches us doesn't run a beer going as bull. So, um, you know, so it starts at home and it goes from there. But uh the second part of your question, David, say that again. I'm kind of... You're a customer. Are they more likely to sell them at weaning or do they take them to the route? Sure. And I would say go back 10 years ago and a large percentage of our customers were going to sell them at weaning. 
um, that has shifting and it continues to shift all the time. And I think that's kind of a, maybe an industry move or, or just people that are, you know, really care about their cattle or wanting to get the best genetics. They're going to take them out to the end because you're, you know, every year can vary a little bit more times than not. If you have good cattle, it's in your benefit to, to take them all the way. Do your customers ever share in that data back with you? You know, that's kind of interesting in the industry. Some customers do. Um, some people like to retain their information. I don't blame them for that either. But yeah, we've definitely seen positive results of the guys that are taking them and taking them all the way out. And typically speaking, once a guy does that once, you know, and it's been a big shift in the industry because, like I say, you go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, not many guys finished them all the way out. So there's a lot more people trying it and it takes a while to step outside your comfort zone. But I can't really think of a person once they've tried it and, and, They've kind of changed their ways and taken their cattle all the way to finish it, that they've really went back. Own livestock? Eventually you will own dead stock. You insure your farm, equipment, and vehicles for financial loss, and you can insure your cattle as well. With Creek Insurance, you can insure your whole herd or individual animals. Call 360-266-8000 for a no-hassle quote, or go to insuremybull.com to start your own mortality policy. Don't allow dead stock to become a financial burden. Go to insuremybull.com and get your cattle insured. All right, well, let's talk some bulls. Everybody likes hearing about bull. You guys got a slug of bull qualifies an outside bull to be used in a bear gulp program. Well, I think the first thing that we started with is, you know, the, the cow side of things. Because I think any time that, you know, you're raising cattle, um, you have to start there. So you can't have a great bull without having a great cow. So I think that's the first thing that kind of checks the box is that we look back at the pedigree and I'm not going to say one generation. We're going to look back multiple generations because I want to see consistency for years and years and years and see what the cow family is on that. So, you know, that's where it's going to start after that. You know, we are, we're going to take in those same type of traits that we're looking at on what females get to stay in our herd. We're going to look at those kind of traits in, in a bull. So, what, what did the cowboy traits look like? What do the cow family look like? What is the phenotype of the animal? And then let's start stacking, you know, as many positive traits on top of that as we can. So, you know, not saying I'm greedy, but to some extent, we're greedy, right? You want it all. So. And then what qualifies one of your own race bulls? What qualifies them to stay in your or go into your? Well, I, I mean, I think the answer kind of is the same same as Bryson's. I mean, it's got to be a balance of traits. I will say I do think that when we're here with our own home-raised bulls, that we're probably even more strict on our criteria for our home-raised bulls, maybe than the the handful of outside AI bulls that we've used. Um, you know, you take bulls like Silver Bullet, um, Titus, Be Efficient, um, a slew of others. So Magna, that cow was a Pathfinder cow. Um, she was able to achieve that status by being flushed once, immediately breeding back. Um, naturally raising the best um, calves multiple years in a row. So you start with those Pathfinder cows, and then you put them through the test. And, you know, I'd say we do probably about as many tests from scrotal size to pelvic to ultrasound scan data to feed efficiency to weaning weights, performance testing, birth weights. I mean, we have so many data points that they have to hit a certain criteria. And when you have several hundred bulls that you're trying to attempt this on all of them, and you have one that's an outlier or winner at the end of the day, and then it's out of the right cow, makes it a pretty special bull. Very special bull to, to get to that. And like Drew said, we are pretty tough on our own. And with that said, you know, I mean, I think 
we sell many, many bulls every year that are very, very special bulls that, oh man, he could have been just a tick better in this one area. I mean, we're tough on him. So it's worked out great too at the same time because there's been a lot of, you know, bulls that people have bought and went on and done great things for them. So that, uh, but, but it's, it's something and it's the reason we love using our own bulls is that we know so much about them and that we put them through so many tests and we're so rough on them. And yeah, so people can get bar barn blind. I look at them a barn motor. I look at my own cattle and I go out there. Oh, why even got them? They just turn them into dog food. And it sounds like he has a kind of tough one on yours as well. And and then I go over go over to the neighbor's place and go look at the cattle. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Is that kind of how you guys get when you start looking at your bulls? A hundred percent. So like I say, it's something that we're 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 tough on them. Um, I think that's a good way to be it's because at the end of the day, you know, you're coming up with the best cattle and you're accomplishing the goals that you want to accomplish. So, um, you know, I think it's very important that you go out and see other places, see other things. It is easy. Like you're saying like that, like compare yourself to someone else. But at the end of the day, that's, that's something I think we started years ago that, uh, has been good for us is get out and see things. But at the end of the day, worry about yourself, the very best that you can do and, and work on improving yourself and everything else to take care of itself. Is your guys heard it that if it closed or you still bring in some outside um, females? Well, it's closed for a lot of years. And and we've had some outside genetics and things like that here recently. It's probably getting more close right now as we speak just because of the feed efficiency thing. It's a trait that not many people worked at and we've worked at it really, really hard. It's maybe becoming a little harder to find cattle that are competing with a silver bullet that you know, did a 3.3 to one and the um, smart feeds of the world and, and things like that, that did a three and a half to one. So I'd say maybe it's getting a little more difficult to find outside stuff. Cattle that kind of meet all the criteria that we're looking for. So, but um, yeah, David, earlier we're talking about, um, you know, some of the female side of things and some of the data gathering and things like that. And I talked with a customer from Iowa the other day and, you know, we're talking about cow size and that six frame and and whatnot and he um you know his cows were a tick heavier than that they were weighing about 15 and a half but the interesting thing was he was feeding those cows for a ration in the winter time for a little under 1400 pound cows so you know in my thinking i think bryson's too don't get so much so worked up about how heavy she is you know like that scenario where he's feeding them to be 1400 pound cows and they're so good doing that they weigh 1500 i don't see that as a negative you know, at all. Sure. And and you kind of saw that with some of this last um, female testing. You know, there were some of those females that, that were on the upper end of weight, but they weren't eating any more than a few of the lighter ones. Sure. So I guess we've started looking at things a little differently since we uh, started the feed efficiency testing, started testing females with cows with cows with calves on their side. Um, you know, and many times you hear people talk about percentage of body weight weaned. Well, what does that matter if you got a small cow and she weans a high percentage, but she's still eating a lot? So we've kind of shifted our focus there a little bit on the cow end of things is we're looking at it purely as, you know, input versus output. What did this cow eat and what did she wean? Because that's ultimately where you're making the money there. It doesn't matter what she weighed 1,400, she weighed 1,600, she weighed 1,200. Who cares? How much did she eat? How much did she wean? You know, so I think... You know, that's kind of shifting our thought process with that and identifying the cows here that, okay, what's she eating, what's she weaning, and what's this calf's also future potential to go on and gain after this? And that's something that we're being able to capture by by 
feed efficiency test in the bulls and the heifers is, you know, even if she weans a big calf, but then it doesn't gain anymore after, well, that's not good either. So you got to look at, I guess, the complete process as, as you're going through that. When you test those cattle, do you guys have like a static rules for that? The calf's three months old and you take them, um, you know, you weigh the calf afterwards as well. I mean, what, what are the rules? That Correct. Yes, that's that's what we do. So we try to get the calves to that three-month-old range when they go on. We weigh the calves on. We weigh the calves off. The calves also get an electronic ID so they know what they are eating every day as well as the cow. So, I mean, so that starts at the end of the day. Really, we're looking at total consumption there on the cow, the calf, and what did the calf gain. So, and again, like I said, also I'm thinking because the way you guys are doing it, you can probably almost – almost catch the cow that's getting a free ride for the cat supporting itself well yeah yeah definitely we can and i mean hopefully you know we're eliminating those cows as fast as we can and hopefully we don't hopefully we eliminate them yeah no that, that's but, but it's definitely bringing to light some cows that aren't getting the job done so you got some loafers out not in their part sure and they're the, they're the cows that, that kill any operation you know so the more times you can identify the cows or hopefully even the cow families that, um, you know, can start being consistent so you can pass that trade on to to your customers. So we're going to go on to something. We do a little exercise with people when they come on here. I throw out the name of a bull. You guys are a little different. We're kind of actually going to kind of cover your bulls. I actually would like both of you guys to on these bulls, see if they're a little different. But I'm going to name old bull. Give me a sentence or two. What do you think of bull? You ready? Absolutely. Ready to go. Black magic. Well, he's just an absolute changer. Um, you know, from a performance, you know, on the maternal side, longevity. I think um his damn live produced till she was seventeen. I mean, just absolutely a performance giant that had extreme great carcass value and just, you know, a, an absolute performance changer. Yeah, and I'm not getting very much from Drew on this one. I mean, just an ultimate profit maker. I mean, still to this day, if you were wanting to to raise calves that make you the most money. I mean, I would put Black Magic up against any bull and any test that somebody wanted to. Of any breed, for matter. Are you still using? We we are some. I mean, like like everything, you know, in the registered business, marketability and timing. And once your customers all get a son, you have to have the next bull. And we're super excited and proud about the next group of bulls that are coming through. But um, like I say, in in a setting where you're just trying to raise cattle to make money, um, Black Magic is. If he's still available for ABS. He is. Yep. He is still th- available through ABS and still up. This one this one is Winston. Well, I think you go back. The, the daughters are going to shock people how beautiful uttered they are. Um, Winston is a big frame bull, long spine bull. Um, but he's went into areas um, that, you know, were thought that because of feed sources and things like that, that you couldn't wean 800-pound calves. And he broke that norm. He was the highest weaning weight bull at uh, multiple different operations. And he was uh, um, had some of their heaviest weaning weight calves in the history of their operations. But if you look at Winston's dam, the 5439 cow, absolutely one of the most beautiful, perfect udder cows in, in business. Yeah, definitely. I I would, again, I, I'm going to have to go first here one of these times. <laughs> I'm just following Drew. But he's, he's just going to add a tremendous amount of performance, scale, length, um, but then at the end of the day, his daughters, I mean, we're, we're Kevin out some of them now and just beautiful, beautiful bags, beautiful, beautiful females all the way around. So yeah, I'm kind of breaking code here. 
talking about something or doing this exercise. But you guys put some emphasis on length. Can you discuss that a little bit? Well, length is, is weight, you know, any way you look at it. We're probably one of the few, um, I don't know, maybe we spend uh, way too much time here, but we'll do some different things. You know, when somebody says a bull is deep, you know, we go and measure like how much rib do they have? And, you know, that bull's really long. Well, how long is that actual bull? And we'll measure one from their pole to their tail head to see how long they, they really are. But length is weight. And like yeah. the beef shop there, you know, if that bull has a 0.9 ribeye, but it's extremely long and we trans, you know, translate that to the real world of selling pounds of ribeye beef, the length matters. Um, it's why we don't look solely at EPDs. Um, we use it as a guideline. We gather lots of data. We believe in EPDs, but it's not, um, you know, the, the sole determiner of which sire we always use. All right, next bull, the laces. Well, he's the sire of Winston, so you're going to get a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but um, oh, Oasis Dam was born in 05, um, just recently passed on us. Um, but she was an absolute powerhouse of a cow, as is Oasis. But a big, hard-footed bull, and, um, you know, I think one of the really gentle Rampage sons there was out there, which he came by that pretty honestly with this dam. She was one of the really nice cows to handle and be around. Um, but kind of the same thing. He went into areas that, you know, thought you couldn't wean higher than this weight calf, and he, um, you know, he broke those barriers that, that you could do that. But they've been extremely efficient, you know. On a conversion yeah. standpoint, they've they've been pretty dominant. Yeah. Added length, added soundness, um, added maternal function. Just a bull that goes out and just always been a super customer pleaser for us. So it's tested and proven to really have cattle go out and get the job done. Yeah, and the Suns, for us, I think we've sold over 100 Oasis Suns. So um, he was used quite a bit here. And the... One of the most which humans that had Oasis. So Oasis is that sire buyer. So when one of the most incredible things about Oasis was the way he worked the pasture. So there was years where I mean he'd never come in. He would run with three three different groups of cattle. I mean there was years where he had over a hundred natural calves himself. So and Titus. Yeah, I'll take Titus. I mean just just an absolute. If you want to add massiveness to your cattle, uh, Titus is a great great place to start so he's just going to add a tremendous amount again we're kind of hitting on the same thing so, so he's going to go along those lines with black magic but he's going to add tons and tons of rib shape to him um also titus is going to be just extremely extremely efficient and that doesn't matter if you're talking about in the feedlot setting on a group of steers or if you're talking about in the cow calf setting um we're we've tested several of these titus daughters now and they're just doing really really good on the cow calf end of feed efficiency things on what you're putting into the cow and what they're putting out. So, um, I think he brings a tremendous ad aspect of efficiency and look and depth to the equipment. He does his pathfinder dam too. I mean, you gotta love the 2834 cow. I mean, she keeps getting it done. You know, it seems like in this world with the EPDs moving forward all the time that you want to flush that next, you know, that next female. And, um, you know, we've went back to her and she's had, um, you know, multiple sons still winning, winning the competitions as a 2012 model. And she's still, you know, still here pulling the plow. Um, I think, you know, that's extremely important. Titus, um, you know, from, from our college interns that were here at the time, when they saw Titus wean, it was one of the most impressive things you've ever seen, but he was, 
Um, if, if he wasn't the, he was in the top three or four all-time high weenie weight bulls that we've ever weaned to Beardo Angus. So I think that in itself, when you start thinking about thousands of head of cattle that were performance bred and you were um, the all-time high weaning animals, um, that's a pretty good feat in itself. And, and did it off his natural dam. And where is his semen available? So Titus, um, same same as his daddy there, ABS. So And now Titan. The Titan Bull um, did a really good job for us. So he has a flush brother um, to Titus. So, again, he's going to add a lot of the length, a lot of the performance, a lot of the same scale. Again, you throw in the cow, the 2834 cow that's just done a tremendous job. Um, we call her you know, the cow that she's the, the mother of sires. So um, she has six sons working in studs. Um, just, again, I think it all starts with the cow, and that's – what really weighs heavily into our decisions when we start deciding on sires to use back and those those cows that get the job done consistently time and time again. We're looking for consistency with the calf crop because I think that's so important. Um, everybody wants to talk about, well, this one bull is great. Well, what are all the siblings like? What's everything like? Because commercial guy goes out here and runs a group, he, he doesn't need one great one. He needs lots of them that are really, really good. So that's what we're looking at there, and I think that's what Titus, Titan give you all right now what about beardo boomer boomer was i mean an extremely exciting animal to work with he was uh um, obviously taken to denver um where abs purchased him but he was just overwhelmingly powerful um huge hip show stylish um lots of bone big hard foot in him out of a perfect utter dam um you know a really good bull um to use on on the png show type cattle um, he's had quite a bit of success with that. And I'd say he's going to continue to, um, you know, really, really do well in, in that type of scenario. Um, but gentle bull, um, some- yeah, he's just a showstopper. So, um, still our all time high valued bull ever beer go boomer. But like Drew said, we took him out to the national Western. That would have been in 2018. And just, he, he just stopped, stopped the show. I mean, that's all there was to it. I've never seen such a crowd of people be around an animal constantly and yeah just tremendous amount of fun but like drew said you know if you're looking to add the performance but then want to really keep the phenotype to him um, with hip and bone and foot and just overall style i mean he's a bull that's going to get the job done well i'm going to ask you about number one andy well andy was a a customer pleaser i mean first and foremost um he's definitely a missouri bull all the way through one of the slicker haired animals and his progeny daughters the same way they could um they could handle the fescue but andy was a bull that cabbed easy enough to work on heifer projects but still had enough length of spine enough frame in him to make the performance people happy he was a really diverse bull um in that they could go ahead and do that and and thrive on fescue the andy daughters milk quite a bit um but you know on wean day they're always bred back. They're, they're super fertile, um, daughters, as was his mom. Um, she was a long lived cow, another cow producing into her teens. Um, but she was a super fertile cow. I don't think there was a single time that we attempted day ire that she didn't stick on the first take. Um, but Andy will go down as, as, you know, kind of the same as Oasis. We've, we've sold over a hundred Andy sons, shoot grandsons. Yeah. I mean, probably a few hundred of them. So, um, he's definitely a, a mainstay bull that was, um, you know, we named him after our dad, so yeah. we thought quite a bit of him. 
Yeah, def definitely one of our all-time greats, the Andy Bull. So his mount still still resides in the uh, beef shop there. So definitely has a special place for us. Um, always look back to, to getting a break and, you know, seeing things grow over time. And I always say that Andy kind of laid the framework for black magic. Uh, we always joke. Andy is one of the, the most intriguing bulls out there because I've had tons and tons of people tell me over the years, man, I used that bull. It was good. He was good. And you go back to, you know, I, I was selling the semen myself at the time on Andy and, and some of those people I know didn't, didn't use him, but he was so intriguing to people um, that he caught your eye and got attention. And like I say, I always give Andy and, and for that matter, big easy bull, a lot of credit. They opened a lot of doors for us and kind of enabled the black magic craze to, to explode like it did when it came. But Andy, a tremendous, tremendous sire for us to, just good cattle go out there, do a great job for, for people and customer pleaser, and he'll always kind of be a special one to us. Here's a new bull that you guys have that kind of piqued my interest, Silver Bullet. Well, Silver Bullet's piquing a lot of people's interest, um, you know, right now. I, I, I'd i say probably every other day I get a call on, on Silver Bullet semen or sons, or um, he just is is such a outlier in so many categories um, you know, he's kind of like the Andy bull and that you can use him on the heifer projects and he's still got so much mass to him. He can compete on a conversion standpoint and weight, um, deal, but in his, uh, contemporary group, um, he was the man. I mean, I think he had a, I'm shooting from the hip here. I think he had an 18, seven inch ribeye on him, um, which was the biggest ribeye bull. He had a seven and a half IMF, which was the highest, um, IMF bull. And I think he did like a 0.22 on back fat so he was able to have that much marbling without having a lot of fat on him but um you know out of the the 2834 cow um the pathfinder dam again um i mean she's she's gotten a lot of these sons here but to do a 3.3 to 1 conversion is absolutely unreal um you know we we have a lot of them and we shoot to keep moving that bar forward but that's going to be a hard one to pass so it's going to take a lot of generations to achieve um something yeah. better better than that I I think Drew brought up so many great points there on just all the hoops that Silver Bullet has jumped through on the data standpoint. And, you know, I'm not going to say there's not another bull in the industry like it. If there is, I don't know about him. So a bull that will kev easy, grow that fast, have those type of carcass traits, have have that feed conversion to a 3-3 to 1. But here's the coolest thing about Silver Bullet is he does all this, which people say you can't hardly do, is have this Cavanese, the growth carcass bull, but then have him be super massive. So, I mean, he's so capacious. He's so thick when you get behind him. I mean, he's a true beef bull. And then to put it with all this data, um, I, I would highly recommend him to anyone. I mean, if you're, you're trying to make money in cattle, you need to be using Silver Bullet right now because, I mean, he, to me, is the most profitable animal there is out there. When you look at the complete start to finish aspect on the data and then talk about retaining daughters and then you're still going to enjoy going out and looking at it so we're pretty pretty excited about S it silver bullet's probably been the most viewed bull um probably has actually been more viewed than than black magic um when when he was here bryce and i would say most viewed and um, widely accepted anybody that's been intrigued about buying um 10 units of semen person they purchase 50 after they see him. I mean, just an absolute powerhouse. He's a beef animal. He's he's a must-see must, must see in person type of bull. Give us some real data on that bull. 
what's his birth? What was his birth weight? What was his weaning? And what was his year on? Sure. And this is right off the top of the head here. So, um, his birth weight was, I think it was 76 pounds. And this is again off the top of my head. Um, his weaning weight was, was over 900 pounds. Like Drew said, he had an over an 18 inch eye on scan day. He had over a seven IMF. He did all this while keeping his back fat at a point, I believe. Um, and then he did his feed conversion ratio to 3.3 to 1. So, I mean, when you start looking at all the real-world data to go along with, you know, his EPDs, they go without without uh, saying. I mean, they're really, really good. I mean, it's... And, and Bryce, elaborate maybe on the 3.3 to 1 to give, you know, what... You sure. Know, when you look at the industry, average is, is somewhere right around the 6.5 to 1. If you're talking about a 3.3 to 1, I mean, you're doing almost twice as good as the industry average. I mean, that's like saying when you're feeding out a steer and it took you $700 to feed him out, it will only take 350 to feed out silver bullet, which is why we go back to the profit end of things. I think people really need to start examining this and looking at this. Is, what's my input to this animal? Because when you really start talking about making money, that's that's a big part of it. I mean, but here's the coolest thing with silver bullet is that you won't give up any premium with him. I mean, he's already got the the enough scan himself at over a seven, but then still has a 1.5 marbling EPD, which I kind of said that was overkill already, but then he still has the big ribeye with it, um, you know, and then has the feed conversion that we're, we're winning on the input versus the output type of thing. So I think he just gives you so many different aspects in the, the you know, what, what we're shooting for at least is the total profitability into things. Um, and that's before you start talking about the savings that I think his females will give you every year. Um, and the fact that he's out of a Pathfinder cow, uh, he just, like we said before, we, we, we were rough on our bulls and we sell a lot of bulls that we really, really love because they miss this trait or that trait, but they're a hell of a bull. The silver bullet, he, he just doesn't miss any of those traits. So, and who's a sire? So silver bullet is out of fireball, which is really, really popular right now. Um, and definitely give fireball a little credit on some of the, the economic traits there, um, on the carcass end of things. But the difference between a fireball, well, and I'll just focus on the positive. The, the, the big thing that Silver Bullet's going to bring to the table, he's an extreme, massive animal. I mean, he carries so much rib shape, so much rump muscle. I mean, he's just, he is a thick beef bull on top of it. So, and sometimes some of these bulls with those uh, extreme carcass traits we know can, can uh, like you said earlier, you know, people are looking for that beef bull look and some of them lack that. The Silver Bullet, he... he I think that's where it sets him a step above is that as he has that true, true beef bull look to him. Well, he has the beef bull look to go to uh, northern breeders that, that want more, you know, beef type of made cattle. But he also has the slick hair to go into the south and fescue country and thrive there. He's an extremely slick haired bull is one, one of the, you know, traits that I appreciate on top of everything else. So, sure, sure. So how does someone get semen from that bull? I don't believe he's in stud yet, correct? Sure. And, and so currently speaking, silver bullet semen, we're just selling it ourselves. So how they get semen is they just contact us, you know, so been contacted by, by a few studs. Um, so we'll see, see how things progress here going forward. But as of we speak right now, we're going to just continue marketing him ourselves and then promoting him that way. And, and interest has been tremendous and, and, uh, and quite honestly, sales have been very, very good on him and, and rightfully so. 
because I missed one on my list. I apologize for it. And I know that it's kind of popular in some people up in the Midwest, up there in Nebraska area. Smart feed. Here it goes, smart feed. It was, I mean, the first big liar. I mean, I think he was the first bull, um, you know, to put it all together that had a three and a half to one conversion. But smart feed, uh, you know, was a good enough phenotype bull that he was taken to Oklahoma and um, put up, proudly put on display and, and things like that. But, um, you know, his dam, a power cow, a big, a big stout way up daughter um, that we like that, you know, she'll have a couple daughters uh, coming up in the sale here. But um, he's looking at some friends' cleaning uh, report and the smart feeds were the, I, I believe, the top five heaviest. So in, in that particular group, and that's kind of been the same um Across everywhere, he's been used. Wyoming guys got along great. The in Georgia, it's sure. like in everywhere. Pa- power, power, power. I mean, if you're looking to go and have a set of calves that you want to finish out and you want to hit, like I said, every premium. Um, at the end of the day, you know, smart feeds bull you need to look at. So again, he converted a three point five to one, which again, almost three pounds better than industry average. It just consistent length growth, added pounds, added efficient pounds. Still sets there good on it on this marbling score, so he's still going to hit all your premiums on that. Um, he's just a extremely attractive bull, extremely long through his front. Um, just just a bull that people really really like when they get the calves out there. They're really eye popping. Um, I think a smart feed daughter is going to be one of the sell heights. I mean, she she is one of the sell highlights coming up here in our October sale. So a female that just really you can't miss when you go in the pen. So, but. But definitely on the smart feed would be a bull that you'd definitely want to take a look at. Which one of your bulls are, or just give me a couple of them. Which one of your bulls are you guys using pretty heavily back on your own herd right now? So currently speaking, I mean, the silver bull, bull we are using extremely heavy. Smart feed, we are using extremely heavy right now. Um, those, you know, I just think those couple of bulls put, put together a trait combination that's really unique in the industry. And, and look, we've tested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bulls with these extreme outliers and there's no doubt that smart feed and silver bullet um are extreme outliers in in that aspect of of putting together a multitude of traits to to you know improve the bottom line and a question about that because you've kind of mentioned outliers a couple times are you seeing with these bulls that the outliers are then become the norm because sometimes within the breed we have an outlier that just is an outlier right the progeny don't reflect that outlier are you seeing the outliers being replicated so so we have feed tested now sons out of uh smart feed and out of silver bullet already so and that's one of the yeah and that's one of the great things we're seeing is that their their progeny are breeding this on i think one of the great things about finding an outlier like silver bullet or smart feed is it's not a one generation thing you know i would be pretty concerned if if I had a bull that was an outlier that came out of nowhere, it's like, well, his sire's not really efficient. His, his dam's not really efficient or they're not, you know, this, this is kind of a out of nowhere, out of, you know, a, a animal that we weren't foreseeing it happening to. That would scare me just a little bit. Whereas smart feed and silver bullet, look, they're, they're generations deep. This wasn't no accident that they are outliers in these traits. Um, you know, they're out of bulls that were, have, have been good on feed efficiency through the testing. They're on cows that have had multiple calves be good on feed efficiency testing. I mean, so I think that's something that we're looking at there is that 
yeah, we want an outlier, but also I want an outlier that's has has consistency in the pedigree and consistency well, there. I, I think it's one that. of the unique things where we can test here on the farm now, David, and that we can take these contemporary groups that are born together, raised together, weaned together, and then feed efficiency tested against each other. You don't have, you know, uh, um, an animal coming in that was flushier, one that was less flushy, and then competing against each other. It's a true apples to apples age comparison, um, environment comparison. And I think that's one of the benefits of having whole contemporary groups and things like that compete against each other, that you can truly find the genetic hours within those groups. Definitely. So I guess to, to go back to your point is we're, we're seeing the correlate very, very good between the animals that are extremely, been extremely good themselves on feed efficiency testing than having progeny. And I can go back several sires that have done that over time low in high out bowl and knee bowl and you know sires that did well themselves and then you know the calves have went on and done very well themselves too so that's one thing that makes us you know is kind of i guess uh reassuring us you know by testing the smart feed calves and the silver bullet calves well guys hey thank you for a great interview guys i told both of you guys before i really admire guys program it's easy to say that your cattle do something it's really hard to prove it. And you guys have put your money where your mouth is and you guys have actually proven what you guys do. So, yes, I, I admire what you guys are doing. I think you guys are a phenomenal wealth of knowledge. And I think you're a program that people should follow and, and probably use some of the stuff that you guys got. Is there a way for somebody to contact you? How did somebody contact you for some semen, especially off that, that silver bullet bull? Is there a way for people to contact you for him? Yeah, we're, we're a wide open book. I mean, Bryce and I have our cell phones on us about all the time Just people are give your number so they can yeah. contact bryson at 816-261-5198 or you can contact drew at 816-261-7150 or you can email us at beergo angus farms at hotmail.com but david we'd like to say thank you so much for having us on we like i say this is our passion this is our life it's been our grandfather's life our father's life and you know luckily they they passed on this those traits to us and we just you say we we think about this every day and live it every day and thank you for the chance to come on here and talk about the things that we enjoy so much absolutely david enjoy thank you guys it was a great discussion